Our sponsor today on Drinking with Authors is Skunk Brothers Spirits. Skunk Brothers Spirits was started by a family of disabled veterans focused on locally sourced quality distilled spirits. Their name was inspired by their pops, who was nicknamed Skunk. Skunk's father was a moonshiner in Oregon back when it wasn't exactly legal. Now the brothers are taking the family business legal with their Washington-based team using their grandfather's Prohibition-era moonshine recipe to bring small batch spirits to the gorge and beyond. From the moonshine corn whiskey to the apple pie brandy, all of their spirits are handmade in Washington. Believing they already have the best ingredients in the local community, they work with local farmers and suppliers to produce the highest quality spirits from scratch. You can find them on Facebook at Skunk Brothers and on Twitter at Skunk Bros Inc. Or visit their site www.skunkbrothersspirits.com and use coupon code DWA10 at checkout to read 10% off your order. You can always also ask your local retailer to start stocking Skunk Brother Spirits. Regardless of how you get your hands on a bottle or two, grab a drink and don't forget to get skunked. This podcast contains potentially adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly sexual context. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Drinking With Authors. What are you doing? Why do you do that? I'm trying to do the intro. <laughs> How oh, you real intro by literary briefs every time now. No, yes, I see that. Out. I give you alcohol, <laughs> you derail the intro. Okay. Okay. These <laughs> last these last forty two seconds will make the season blooper real. I'm pretty yes, sure. exactly. Okay. This is for drinking with authors literary briefs edition. Val, don't say another damn thing until I tell you to. I am your host, Erica Lance. My co-host today, which I'm regretting heavily at this point in time, is Valerie with Willis, and our amazing, amazing guest is Chuck Gannon. So thank you. Hi, guys. Okay, let's talk about what we're drinking. Some of us are a few little bit into this. I opened this bottle today. It's Sweet Apple Pie by Skunk Brothers Spirits. And it's apple brandy and spice. It's really good. You know what this would be great with is if somebody had um, apple cider and then put this in the apple cider, it would be balls. I'm going to have to do that. So that's what I'm drinking. Um, Val, what are you drinking? It's called a cherry... Bake well tart, which I've never had one in real life. I have no idea how it compares to the item, but it's the little liquor bottles of amaretto, black cherry rum, and white chocolate liquor. Pretty, pretty stout. I put brandy down the wrong pipe. That sounds amazing, and you're nice and drunk, and I can tell from your face. Chuck, what are you drinking? Why this fine bottle? Uh, no, I did not start this today. Uh, I'd, be, I'd be in the ICU at about this point. Um, oh, that's right. We don't have room there. Uh, so for me, it would be it would be the, the bed in the gutter, I think. Um, at yeah. any rate, this is um, Wilderness Trail uh, bourbon. It is 100 proof. It is extremely smooth for 100 proof. Um, I am a big devotee of Knob Creek. This is a um, this is very much in that same family. Um, some of the same maple uh, flavors, but a really nice, a, a really nice single barrel uh, bourbon. I cannot recommend it highly enough. And it is in 
the Drinking with Authors. I don't even know if you can see it now. Yes, you can. The Drinking class. with Authors, the backward branding. Um, and that's uh, that's from my prior time here. And this only proves that these are both very kind and masochistic people here at Drinking with Authors. <laughs> this is very true. So you brought up Knob Creek, and I have to say, Jonathan Mayberry, who said, because we didn't get to see him at DragonCon this year, was like, I love Knob Creek, you have to bring some. So now I know what I'm bringing to DragonCon to make it amazing. Is he a Knob Creek fan as well? Yes, yes. So, uh, oh, and We must bond. I know, John, we must bond. We didn't know this. <laughs> yes, yes. No, we are, I'm telling you, this author hotel is going to be, Erica, Drinking with Authors is going to bring a whole new level Weston. to it. <laughs> it all happens at the Weston. Exactly. I'm so excited. Okay. So this is a rapid fire questions. Are you ready? That's for you, Chuck. You're the one that has. Okay. He's drinking. He's drinking. I am now. Okay. <laughs> so what is the best book you read this year? I read so few. I have to tell you. Um, the best book I read this year. Let me come back to that because I, the more you write, the less you read. And I'm definitely an illustrate, an illustration of that. So. Okay. So what about your favorite book to movie or TV show? Favorite. Favorite. Not the best, but my favorite right now that makes any sense is The Expanse. I'm a huge oh. fan of The Expanse. And as a matter of fact, a lot when people talk about the Cain Riordan series, that's one of the ones I tend to mention because it's got that sort of, it, one of the things I like about The Expanse, what a shock, because it's what I was working for, towards, is it. it is definitely science fiction. It's pretty much hard science fiction. There's a little bit of physics that could stand to be tweaked, but um, it has that techno thriller vibe, that hard, ed that, that crisp edge. Um, it's pitiless. The universe is bigger than the fate of any one character. No one's walking around with a halo. Um, and I think the science and the science of non-terrestrial non life, whether that's intelligent or otherwise, is really well done. I'm a big fan. Very cool. My nice uh, boyfriend is a huge fan of this. And I, I have to honestly say, I got to go back and watch because I like season one and then season two happened. And I'm like, what the hell just happened? Like, I felt like I was in a completely different series. And I was like, I feel like I missed something because he's like season three. And I'm like, no, no, I'm still, I need to go back because I feel like something <laughs> happened and I totally missed it. <laughs> so um, what about one that you were like, um, they could have not done this and that would have been okay. <laughs> oh my, where to begin. <laughs> um, it's fun. You know, it's, I, I, I hate to say this because I, I, I like Terry Brooks a lot, but I think that the, the sort of Shannara series that was done not too long ago, it tried really hard. Um, it, 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 it tried, I think. So I have a problem. I don't know that they said this, but there was stuff in that version that I felt like the characters were on the verge of or actually saying, don't, don't throw shade at me. I mean, it's like, come on. No, I know we're all trying to be hip and with it. And we're trying to inject the, the, the series with the vernacular of the day, but that just throws me right out of the, the immersive trance, if you will. I don't, I am not looking at my world. So don't put my language in that world. If there's a certain sort of, I think, 
when one gets to a, a different world, there's a kind of, one has to find a stylized kind of approach to authentic language to that time that is also, to some extent, I'm going to call it, I don't, epochally, as in epoch, epochally neutral. Um, and, and can be heard without the, the, the prejudice or context of any given time, sort of layered into it. And there are just so many others. Um, but what? <laughs> I try to be a positive person. We are being a positive. You know, it's interesting that you say that. And I'm going to try to keep my thought here because this brandy's doing wonders for me right now. But um, one of the for things I us, thought Erica, was for all interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Going back to sci-fi. This is not sci-fi. I'm just making that up. Um, I actually just recently bought a friend of mine, the British TV series of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I don't know if you've ever seen this. I have but not. Oh my God, BBC did a version of Douglas Adams' Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I want to say it was done in like the late 70s or early 80s. It was, um, and it was, it was British. And it really, I mean, outside the fact that their special effects were garbage, they're very Red Dwarf special effects, because that's what they have. They don't have, there weren't special effects back then. So if anybody's seen the original Clash of the Titans, you understand what I'm talking about, right? Um, so, but it followed the book so incredibly well because it was like this BBC British show of this British author's Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And then, because he was talking to me about how the movie, and although I love a lot of the things they did with the movie, I love a lot of the people that played in the movie. As a diehard Hitchhiker fan, I was a little like, what are they doing? Like, I wasn't really happy but there was this thing and so I think it's really interesting because when you talk about um stuff that's made now you go who did they make that for because I can yeah. tell you right now they didn't make it for the readers of that particular book right series they didn't and it's true with the wheel of time too I actually just talked about this the other day because I was watching the wheel of time show having read the wheel of time books and I was like, this has got to be fucking confusing for anybody who has not read these books, like the sequence, like the way they did it. And it was so funny because a friend of mine came on and was like, yeah, I've never read those books. It was really confusing. <laughs> anyway, that's my little rant for the moment. Val, were you going to inject something? You had that look because you keep opening your mouth. I, 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 I've had too much cherry bakewell tart in a cup <laughs> like i'm i'm ready for a nap erica oh you are not a good co-host today i'm just okay so we talked earlier about you having a, a a world bible from when you were 13 and kind of revamping that when you create newer worlds nowadays do you still take the time to kind of build yourself a, a bible or write write some sort of preparation Yes, absolutely. Uh, because particularly with hard SF and also because of, um, I have a theory. It's not even a theory. It's just a take on uh, one of my biggest problems with antagonists, villains in general, particularly when they're not sort of lone wolf sort of individuals. And even when they are, I mean, the bottom line is for a, for a, an opposing force to our hero or heroes as the case may be, um, They've got their power because they're big, they're smart, or both. And one of the things that, that can really um, irritate me is 
with not having why people have what degree of power well-defined because the particulars of that are going to drive what they do, are going to drive the sort of tactics and decisions they make. And what, what does this all have to do with the World Bible? Simply that I need to know who's holding what cards at the table. And because my take on it, therefore, is I tend to write, and this is this the sort of inevitable sequelae to this, is I tend to write, um, uh, I don't know that my novels are complicated. I don't mean them to be complicated. But the bottom line is anybody who's got power tries to preserve it. And that doesn't mean that their machinations or plans are self-evident. As a matter of fact, anybody who's got power and has held power understands that it's always better to have you know, a couple of tricks up your sleeve that no one guesses about, miscalculates, doesn't understand the full significance of, and rather than try to retcon that into a book, because I say, oh, I, what, a, what a great idea I had. Oh, if only I hadn't thrown up roadblocks to myself. Um, I will tend to to uh, to employ those, but the 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 World Bible is a work in progress. Most of my World Bible before nineteen no before two thousand five was notes I made on computer. Uh, I I was always invested in the best note taking portable technology I could get my hands on. Literally, my hands small because I would have ideas in all sorts of very inconvenient places at inconvenient times. Um, and so now I have on my phone something that's called Tape Talk, which was developed in Germany so that in a lecture hall of like physics and medical students and things like that, a, a two hour lecture could be recorded all at once. So what I'll do is I'll have that thing running. And now there's this, uh, and, and I will, I have since 2005 or 2006, the balance moved to audio recording. So the so as I as I work on these novels, I'm realizing threads, and I haven't committed to anything yet. So I can actually I can add those skeins to the tapestry um, before they even have to show up. Um, and then in the just in the last two or three years, there's a wonderful piece of software that I would I feel like I should get. I talk about it all the time, so I should really get a cut. Um, <laughs> it's something called Otter AI. Otter, like the thing that swims around and 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 you know eats shellfish, and is really cruel to others. Um, and uh, Point AI. What this is is it is by far, even when it is not connected to the internet. I don't know how it does this. You can talk directly into it, and its transcription clarity is extraordinary. It delivers output as both the audio or text, docx, et cetera, et cetera. But here's the really nice part. This was the part that made me want to like build a shrine to it. All those WAV files that were such a pain in the neck for me to transcribe that I recorded all those years, it will not only take what you say, you can load uh, WAV files from any source, from any recording source into it. And I have, this has just made my, my ability to keep track of my world, expand my world, not lose ideas, plot ideas for the next novel. I mean, I tend to work, I mean, I'm thinking already in all the series, two to three novels ahead. That's just the way I am. Um, part of, it, it would be true to say that I love writing, but I can be as sleepy inebriated, distracted as you want, but I can keep world building. I don't know what that's about. 
that's just this sort of thing that it's, if I had nothing else to do in a day, it's what I'd be doing. Our, our lead editor gets, she, she probably, because she's up so late and I know she's up so late. She, so unlike you, instead of like using something practical, uh, I am the sort that will text or Facebook message random friends and be like, I just woke up with from a dream. I got to write this down. I got to tell somebody. Yeah, no, you need to download Otter AI. I'm going to need yeah. you to do that because I'm one of the people that gets this random weird text. And like, I'm it's like, this vampire hunter D. They're seers, and and he's he's different, but he's a seer. And she's, what are you going on about? I'm like, it's three a.m. I just woke up, and I, I'm so 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 tired. <laughs> that that's well. Thank you, Valerie. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. Because cool. I was asleep too at three a.m. <laughs> AI is Otter AI is going to be your friend. Misery loves company, makes... okay. Pardon me? I said misery loves company, okay? Uh, 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 uh. Yeah, don't become friends with her, Chuck. That's really the message that you should know from this entire conversation. Oh, I don't, I don't know about that. Okay. So is there any um, character that you've written some part of that you wanted to incorporate but then realized it wouldn't work? Like something you were yes. like, I love this. What did you give up? Yeah, I did. And it's kind of, it was in one of the first books that I, that I guess that was, I don't know if it was the first one that was published or second. Um, I had met Eric Flint uh, in 2009. Uh, he accepted the first thing that I wrote. He wasn't making any promises, but he liked it. And then I, next I knew I was subbing in for his collaborator on, um, hold on, leaving frame. Um well, I thought I was leaving frame, but actually I went to the wrong place. I didn't have to leave frame. Papal Stakes, um, which was the first book I wrote in the 1632 series. Uh, it had started with somebody else, but uh, that individual had a health issue. I jumped in. I wrote that thing. And there's, a, there's an individual in there who is um, apparently a, it's set in 1630s. Um, is, it's, a, it's an alternate history. People go back in time through this sort of exchange of, of geography. Um, and uh, there's this town from West Virginia of about 5,000 people that winds up in Germany and vice versa. And, uh, and the thing, what I liked about this, and this is typical Eric, uh, it's not the guns, it's not the cars, it's not the coal mine, it's the high school library. That's what really makes the changes. Uh, and, so, uh, and so one of the things that's in there is there's a Spanish intelligence chief uh, who is arrayed against who who has uh, is responsible for taking on the the threat represented by what are called the uptimers, the Americans. And um, one of the things that I wanted to do was introduce this thread with him, where you think he's working for the Spanish, but he's actually not entirely Spanish. He's he's actually his his Spanish father did not own him. His Spanish, his English mother tried to follow him to Spain and wound up dying in poverty. Uh, he had a younger brother who, uh, who then was not as strong or clever as our protagonist was and some, and wound up uh, being sort of wound up being raped and ultimately uh, getting money as a sort of sexual plaything of the Spanish grandees and died both through exposure and syphilis. Um, 
So what I wanted to do, and you'll understand why Eric's, Eric's wife said, you can't put this in to Eric. <laughs> and I'll tell you why in a second. It's a great line. Um, and so what I wanted him to do was be this individual who, who was, there was this string of murders every place he, that, that, that he was being asked to investigate because they happened shortly, you know, right before he arrived or after he arrived. And it was always somebody who was well-placed in town um, somebody Spanish and it was, and, and it was very often under embarrassing circumstances, um, where they were, you know, essentially, uh, indulging one or another, uh, carnal appetites, uh, at the expense of innocent individuals. And what was happening was this guy was actually getting there before people knew he was there and he was setting it up. He was baiting them in. And so we have these, it's pretty grim because I mean, it's a, it's, you know, the murders, the, the, the murder scene when, when people go there is clearly of a, of a, you know, in this case, a, 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 um, a, a pedophilic tryst gone terribly wrong. Um, and so both, you know, not only kills him. Um, and also the other thing is that the, and this is where the character is really twisted. He won't, he only does it when the child, whichever the child is, is clearly so miserable and so much wants to die and just wants a good meal and just wants to go to sleep that he makes sure that there's something that makes the child sleep away in whatever, in, in whatever has been laid out as the, the bill of fare and, uh, and then sees to it that the, uh, that the, the, uh, the pedophile is, um, is, meets a much less uh, sanguine end. Um, and so this was, I really liked what I wrote there. And Eric, <laughs> Eric had his wife Lou read it. And she said, this is really well written. But she said, it's not, it would, it would do very, it would be an excellent sequence from the girl with the dragon tattoo, but not for this series. <laughs> and she's exactly <laughs> right. She's exactly right. Uh, I love Lou. She's great. And, um, and so, yeah, I, I still, I still used aspects of that character. I just had to dial it back. I didn't change him wholly, but um, there's a part of me that really, uh, I told, I, I chided Eric. I said, geez, Eric, I'm an independent that comes out of a, you know, a, a very mixed, an eclectic political background. I said, but I'm, I'm, more of a, I'm more of a Marxist than you are. And he said, why? I said, because I wanted to show the debauchery <laughs> of capitalist and aristocratic culture and you want to hide it <laughs> there's like which is what eric does so um so there you go that's that character that i would have uh, i had to had to trim it back a little. no no and, and i understand but i also kind of love what you would have done with it because one of my biggest things um growing up reading a lot of uh a lot of fantasy when i was growing up and sci-fi was I always hated it when the bad guys were not that bad. I, I there are some bad guys that have redeeming things, but there are some people that are just evil. And to try to make you like some part of the reason they're evil always bothered me. So there are a few examples where I feel like people did really well with characters like that. Where I was like, this this person's like uh, in Terry Goodkind's book, the first one. One of the um, bad guys is a pedophile. He's a pedophile. They end up killing him. But that's what he is. There's no like, 
because he was abused, blah, 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 like whatever justifier around this asshole. He's just an asshole. Mm. And I always love it when you see that I, I write horror. So I guess I can go on this whole side of this is that I like seeing how bad it is. I think that part yeah. is scarier. Like to me, the really scary horror movies out there are ones like seven and mm. silence of the lambs. Cause those are real bad guys. Like you, you don't go, wow, this person's super sweet. You're like, no, I don't want to be in a room with this person. Like there's no redeeming quality. In this well, the empathy, what, whatever is that empathy switch did not get thrown and it's just not there. Um, and, uh, and in, in this case, in this case, what I really wanted to do was, uh, I wanted to, to, you know, it's, it, it's easy enough to talk about the, the horrors of, of, uh, in, you know, Imperial Spain and, and that, that kind of, that kind of, uh, that kind of abuse of power in general, but I wanted to, to have a, an apparent bad guy himself, an intelligence for them actually being the he is he was determined in the series and it's still he's still in the series he is working his way to the point where he can create a court scandal that brings them down it's like you did this to my mother you did this to my brother i'm gonna do it to you and and use and of course what is more what is it in 1984 uh o'brien says to winston smith what is the what is the the, the surest form power it's like to to inflict pain you know the, and and this is this is the debauchery you know what you, people call them sex crimes they're usually they're crimes of violence that are being conducted through the lens of sex of of sexual relations and uh, and i just wanted i wanted to really go to the this isn't just they kill people this isn't just they take over countries this is if you live by the sword of absolute power, it will corrupt some of these people absolutely. And always, these individuals you're talking about, these these really sort of chilling psychopaths. If that switches in you, it, if you that sort of culture, those sort of expectations will allow it to come to its its fullest realization. And I just wanted to to whack that on the head. I like it. I like it. Okay, I got another good question. You ready? Yeah. So if you could undo one piece of technology, what would that be? Wow. That's a good science fiction one. Alt history. Yeah. That's totally in the game. You know, this is, as I was saying in a, uh, uh, an, an, uh, an interview I gave not too long ago, there's, if there's a constant in my work regarding the problems, it's the law of unintended consequences whether that's fantasy or, or realistic or, you know, conventional fiction, or you just, no one sees all the way things are going to play out. So you asked me this question and I suddenly feel like, I feel like I'm being asked to make something go away, but then what, what am I doing? Uh, the, the, my first response, my gut would be, I think we are changing our brains, not, not even in the balance for the better with the immediacy of social media. Um, reflection as a, as a property of human cognition is essentially being discounted and reflex is being encouraged. And, and it's, 
you know, anybody who spent any time on TikTok or Facebook Reels or something like that knows that this is this is like this is like lizard hindbrain crack. You know, it, it's like oh, just one more, just one more, just one more. It's because it never stops. It's 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 very it's varied. Blah 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 blah. Um, and I'm tempted, therefore, to say that social media. But you can't talk. Social media isn't the technology. Social media is when you get right down to it. Is the outgrowth of the technology that allows us to communicate to people on the other side of the planet to to capture an image or or sound both moments of triumph and terror uh, that that allows first responders to get there much more quickly that delivers life-saving information how do i get rid of this thing i hate and leave all that behind so i'm i'm going to say my um that question is so important and so fraught i can tell you the things i'd like to get rid of but that's, I understand that it's not as simple as getting rid of the technology because the baby that goes out with that bathwater has to be very carefully considered. Oh, it's true. But that, that's why it's a good question to go. Yes, it is. What, yes, it what is. do you want to get rid of? Every now and then I can come up with some, I didn't come up with our question, Rice. <laughs> she she stole it from someone. No, I did. But I thought it was a really interesting because I, I do a lot of, um, talks about human resources and being an executive in my day job, right? And one of the things that I think a lot of people don't do, like if I could pick the number one flaw with most people, believe it or not, is they do not take about 10 steps back and look at more of the situation. Like as an executive, if I'm a C-level executive, I should have about a 30,000 foot view of the entire situation. I'm not going to see exactly what's happening on the plays and everything like that. I have to understand the game that somebody's playing in front of me, but I'm never going to be like, I saw exactly he tried to trip you on the field, right? Like, but most people do not breathe. They don't take the breath. And I think it's kind of goes along with what you were just saying is they don't go reflect. Wait a minute. Let me look at this whole thing, right? From beginning to end. And let me play out the scenarios with my response. And sometimes the most innocent response to something could be the deadliest response. Oh to my God, absolutely. Oh. And take and a look think at what, it all the way through. And look at what we, the mode we're in right now. Imagine that we're not just having a chat, but we're in a business meeting. Now you've got this, this anybody who's ever been in a business meeting or been in a think tank or something like that, a, a topic or a state, a topic is thrown out or a statement is made. And you, you read the room. And people are, the thing that happens in Zoom is we get to see people all over the world, right in front of us, but we only see them through a stovepipe. All the nuances that take place when you're up close to somebody, all that mammal stuff of, is that person going to speak? Is that person waiting for somebody to speak? Is this a moment where humor will work? Is it not? That largely gets cut out of this kind of medium. And, and the, the, reason, the reason I make that point is because I think that's part of why you're getting even more this sort of no delay time between something is said, somebody responds. Because if we're playing Zoom version Hollywood squares and there are 16 people you know, on your screen and somebody said something, if you don't say, if, you, if, you do no, if you're not the first one to respond, you may never get the chance because of the nature of the way the software processes the voice, who manages to control the conversation. It's difficult enough in a room. In this, 
It's murderous. So everybody is trying to be first in. It's so true. It's very true. God, we could go many, many petals of this particular flower because mm -hmm. it's something like if I, when I mentor and I'm training people, like this is the one thing I train people to do, like just breathe. Like from the movie Ever After where she says that, just breathe, like just breathe for one second and think about what you're doing and all of the nuances because I feel like almost every situation in life is almost like Game of Thrones. You have to understand all the players. You have to understand their motivations. You have to, like, what is their angle? There's all these pieces to it. And if you react that fast, there is no way you'd catalog that. Absolutely. To go, this is the right answer. You're not even giving your instinct. You're going with gut response and thinking it's instinct. But instinct has more layers than that. and But they take more time to come to the surface. Very true. Okay. Val, I can I love that you're waning and I, I can see it on your face. I appreciate you. You get the final question, my friend. You spoke highly of villains and you seem to be a villain co connoisseur. Uh, what's your favorite <laughs> villain of all time and why? Hmm. Hmm. Some of my own. Uh, just because I got a chance to, you know, I built my own kit. Um, the ones that folks know, I think, uh, I think Iago is a very interesting villain. I think, uh, I think the arc, <laughs> I think the best thing about Star Wars is Darth Vader. When you get right down to it. Um, I knew in, from the moment I saw the second movie, it's like the only one who's going to be able to kill the emperor is going to be Darth Vader. That's, that is the arc. You know, it was like I was, I was 18, 19 years old. And I said, that's what's got to happen. Um, there are others. Um, I, I'm trying to think of ones that are, are, are known well enough. Um, you know, it's, it's funny. I don't, I don't keep other media in my head as readily um, as I, as I do <laughs> my own because there's so much going on right um, so what makes the, what makes for a good villain then what what qualities that if you make your own kit what does that kit include first of all a good reason yeah i do not i i find it um i know it this may sound like a contradiction but i do not find sociopaths to be particularly interesting villains they, they're very compelling villains because they're sort of like force majeure in human form. They're going to do this thing. And the only way in which they, they, they interest me, and it's interesting you say seven. Um, oh, boy, if he's a I'll tell you one of my favorite villains, uh, because it's a because it is this it's this interesting character who who tricks you and he's not. He's not a he's not a sociopath. Are you familiar with uh, the movie The Usual Suspects? Oh, I love that movie. I Kaiser love Soge. Yeah, this is this is played to a T. I love that. And and he's and he's not your typical villain either. His motivation is is kind of is is complex. Um, but um, but I think I think that's a that's for me a good example of a of a movie with a really really effective villain in it. Um, my own type will have some of the Kaiser Soja elements. 
I think it's it's not that I it's not that I saw you know the usual suspects and I said now I know how to write villains. It's like oh man, you get it, you get it. Yes, yeah. of course. Um, that he that there needs to be some mystery in them because let's let's face it, you know the seeing everything behind the mask. No, no, no callbacks to Darth Vader there, but take it where you will. Is that if a either a villain is one of these sort of all-powerful individuals, the sort of the Sauron of the story, if you will, which in a way it's it's really scary because they've got lots of power, but they're sort of again, it's like a force majeure. It's like I want this thing; it's called power. I'll do anything to get it. Um, I don't. I I rule. I, I rule. You know, absolutely with without any any restraint in my own domain. So I don't need to 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 worry about what anybody else thinks of me. I just thought of another villain, by the way. I'll get back to it. Um, screw tape letters. I was thinking thinking the Inklings. Um, but uh, but the thing is that uh, I, I I want somebody who got there. They have to keep it hidden for some reason, which means that they're in a they're either operating in a society which would disapprove. Um, they have enough control to now that would sound like a sociopath. But I, I, I am more interested in something that gets me closer to tragedy. Um, one of the German philosophers said that the true definition of tragedy, and you can guess which Greek play he thought was the best tragedy, is when, is when two characters, who we normally think of as the antagonist and the protagonist, have absolutely mutually exclusive objectives, and both of their lives are dependent upon achieving it. So everybody's got a reason, but what I need is exactly the opposite of what you need. We can't all walk out of here at the same time. Not surprisingly, thought Antigone is by far the best. And, and right, I think I, I, the, 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 the tragedy in Antigone is so inescapable and powerful. And everybody has such a reason to be where they are doing what they're doing that it's, um, I, you know, I don't see how you... I don't, it's, it's, to me, it's very powerful. And there, the bad guy doesn't even feel like a bad guy, so to speak. Um, another interesting fiend is, uh, is the um, Wormwood in the screw tape letters. That is uh, C.S. Lewis. And it is a yeah. first-person <sighs> journal of, the, of a devil that has been sent to corrupt a fairly average individual and his report on that. It is... It's really well done. It's really well done. It's a short book too. It's only, it's, it can't be yeah. more than about 50 or 60,000 words. It was like words. a pamphlet almost. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's almost more like a pamphlet. Absolutely. And I could, you know, it's, it's interesting. There are far more memorable villains for me than heroes because I think people are. You, you got to love, like when a, I, you know you have a good villain when the moment you see their name on the page, there's like this, the whole room around you kind of shifts and you're like, oh, like it invokes a, a almost like a physical and atmospheric shift. Like you got to love to hate them or be like, oh, I want to know you. You kind of want to know more about them. Well, like that's exactly a level it. Of mystery. That, so. that, that mystery. And that well, mystery needs to be tied to their power. Because because then it's it's like it's two sides of the same mirror and it's and ultimately you get the satisfying they will be hoist by their own petard. If their mystery is connect, if their mystery is if their power is dependent on their mystery, 
and their mystery has been constructed to protect their power, then for you to undo that villain, you know, so as I put it um, in a, where was I? If, if a narrative is a car, a hero is the engine, but the villain, they're the gas. Well, it's true. And it's always interesting when you look at it from the perspective, um, especially you brought up sociopaths. So like Silence of the Lambs, we're talking about, there's no empathy there, right? The Silence of the Lambs or that whole series villains, right? And even like the darkly dreaming Dexter things, there's zero empathy with the hero of that particular story, right? No empathy. But I always think it's interesting if you really, the shift when you as the writer can see the vi the villain, I'm using quotation marks, point of view, because generally they're not doing something because they think it's wrong. Like right. they're not like, yeah. I want to, I want the world to burn. I think it's wrong. I mean, that's a sociopath is generally on that. I mean, they still think what they're doing is right or whatever, but they also, a lot of them realize they don't have the care factor of humans, but it's very interesting because you look at a lot of the best villains and you go, they thought they're right. Darth Vader to that tune. You brought him up completely justified in his mind that he is right, that everybody else is on the wrong side of the force. And, you know, he's not, he doesn't think he's the bad guy. And, you know, it was only when that certain button was pressed that he went, wait a minute, wait, wait, am I on the wrong side? <laughs> And even still, it wasn't, he was on the wrong side. This was the wrong person. Like this person was a bad person, yeah. you know? Yeah. No, I, I, I agree. Um, it's layers. a, uh, yeah, it's, it's the layers. And it's, it's that, uh, as I, as I've said many times when I'm teaching sort of introductory classes, if your villain, if your notion of your villain is that this is a person who gets up in the morning to wax their curling mustache and say, nya ah ah nya ah ah what evil shall I do today? Just stop right there. No one, no, that's fine for, I don't even think six or seven year olds will buy that anymore. You know, the, I think narrative sophistication has sort of worked its way down in, in age group. And uh, I think that's a good thing because I think the easy, the easy shibboleths of, of, um, of what is good and what is evil are, um, are are no service to to uh, I think I don't know that they've ever been a service to young people, um, but certainly in a world as filled with shades of gray, no, not going there. Um, Please don't. As as yeah, right as this one is um, pointing to the complexities of making those sort of pronouncements. This is good. That's bad. That's evil. That's divine. All these sort of things. This is a this is a far more fraught, um, you know, behavior because it's connected. That's how it's how what we do before we kill people. We other them, right? We turn them into the other. And for if we can think that they're not us, then it's easier for us to then then we fear them. So we say, what am I going to do with that fear? Well, I'm going to say they're not us. And, and I fear what's not us. And I hate what I fear because I really don't like feeling fear. And now because they're not us, that allows me to say that if somebody says, well, they're going to hurt us now and we have to do something about it. It's like, well, they're not really people anyhow. And it's that slippery slope gets played out every time. And my God, watching what's happened in the last five years of what I would call 
strong man, and I'm not trying to be I'm not trying to be, you know, gender insensitive there, quite the contrary. I don't know of many, I don't know of many women who are doing the, the sort of Putin, uh, whether it's the Philippines or, or, or Turkey or Russia or whatever, or, or places closer to home, potentially. Um, we have had this, this tendency, which, which when you think about it, so much of the gathering of public opinion uh, and for for movement in a given direction, very often depends upon othering. And it's just as true in the other direction. In, in there's been an awful lot of extreme left ideology, which really sort of, sort of enables the path to action by saying, you know, it, it's a shame, but it has to be done. They're in the, right, the, they're in the way of history. It's like when people do that, I don't care what you're feel. I feel like this is one of the things I like about Captain America. He says, you know, I don't want to hurt anybody. I don't like bullies. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I agree. Agree 1000%. Okay. We are at the end, my friend. Um, can you hold up your book again and tell us about this book that just recently came out? The yes, one that has most recently come out is called This Broken World. And um, the world doesn't seem to be broken, but our protagonist, has, has a suspicion that at some level it is. And he goes out to search that. And in the process of searching all to, to, to find evidence for this, he discovers that despite the various perilous situations into which he, he intrudes himself, some of which turn out not to be quite so perilous as he was led to believe, the ones who seem really threatened by this are the people from his own home who don't want certain questions asked. Very cool. And this series is called... The Vortex of Worlds, that book is This Broken World, and the second book, which I am completing now, is called Into the Vortex, and the third, not too ominous title, is Toward the Maw. Yeah, that's not ominous at all. Okay, how do people find Chuck? How do we find you? Find me on Facebook, um, uh, Chuck Gannon. Uh, I have a, a group, a very, very lively group page there, which is mostly focused on my hard SF series, but pretty much anything that I've written is, is fair game there. And uh, we do a lot of kind of cool, excuse me, cool things there. I'll throw up a bunch of images that are books and I'll say, do a flash fiction and people come on and they do that. So we have fun awesome. and, uh, and they get up, they get a chance to sort of to, to, to piddle in the universe a little bit. Um, and then of course I have a website, which is very, very hard to remember. www.charlesegannon.com. <laughs> uh, and uh, I'm at a, I don't do as many cons as I used to both due to COVID and the fact that I got too darn much stuff to write, but that's not a complaint in this field. That's exactly the problem you want to have. So uh, that's how to find me. And if you ever see me, um, uh, I would love for any of your, your viewers to, to just come right on up and say, hi, uh, I heard you, you drove me mad, you spoke too long. And I'll say, I understand that. I can get behind that. Yeah, yeah no, they should ask you a question that gets you going. That's what they <laughs> do. Absolutely. They should, they should hear your complex narrative on Darth Vader and then just <laughs> let it rip. But I also think they should dress as characters from your books because that's always badass to have somebody. There's show been some cosplay. Character. There has been some cosplay. Yes, I think that's amazing. Thank you so much for being on the podcast with us again. I really appreciate that you were here. 
It is always a pleasure to be here. I love these conversations and, and where else can you drink in public on, on video, right? So, so I <laughs> that's, there are places, but probably not ones you want to be on. Yeah. So. But that's true, isn't it? Well, Erica and Valerie, thanks so much for being great hosts and asking great questions and being so welcoming um, and listening to me go on and on and on. It's been great being on Drinking With Authors yet again. No, it has been fabulous having you and you don't go on and on. You are riveting and I appreciate it. Not only that, I'm going to do a shout out here to Chuck because he motivated me to find somebody who could actually do our videos and now they're doing them and catching them all up. So that's happening. So I'm super excited. So this will go to video very, very soon as part of this rollout. So <laughs> it was your insistence that I'm like, I better do it before I have this man on this podcast again. So that <laughs> Well, the, the thing also is that I know that, that if I do, if I press, a, if there are just so many audio podcasts right now, and I knew that I wanted when I, okay, so group page, I put it out there and I say, oh, I was on this podcast and they look and they see it's only audio. Uh, you know how many thousands of audios they, they could be listening to? They see video. That's a different experience. They're going to meet face. Exactly right. They're going to meet people. They're going to they're going to see the they're going to see the exchange of the dynamic of the conversation. Not have to sort of envision what it was like. And I didn't want to link to the podcast because now I'll get a chance to link to one two right away, and people will see your smiling and and welcoming faces and and be more likely to to choose this as a uh, as one of their many ports of call as they are media consumers today. I would love that. And I do appreciate it. So that is the shout out that you get. Okay. You. This has been Drinking with Authors Literary Briefs. I've been your host, Erica Lance. My co-host has been Valerie going to take a nap in moments, Willis. <laughs> yes. Our um, sponsor today has been Skunk Brothers Spirits. I drink quite a bit of this. I'm just going to say it's pretty amazing, but now I'm going to go get cider and put it in there. Not Ooh. right now because you don't drink and drive. When I'm sober and I can go do that, then I will. And guest has been Chuck Gannon. Thank you again. And we will see you guys next time. Bye everyone. Bye.